All right. Um, I'm on the wrong page in my notebook. There we go. Um, so what did we think of our passage this week? Did anything stand out? Anything that, um, anything that anyone's willing to share about the passage? Elizabeth. Yeah, and I, th- I think that'll be, we hear a lot of verses of Romans individually. You know, it's one that, that, you know, you have Roman, the Romans road, and that's a, a method of, of sharing the gospel. You have just other things, and it, it is really interesting when you're studying it in depth, but the whole book, when you do get to put all of those things into context and sort of see... Um, see how it fits together with everything else so so that's great anybody else that wants to share i was enjoying uh reading one of the commentaries how it was focusing on god's provision of his righteousness and it was a public demonstration and that god is the gift not just the giver so it's like god the father is listed two times as many as god the son and i never even noticed that yeah Well, one of the things I noticed this week is there were a lot of great words in this passage. Uh, several of them are, are those, those big church words, you know, uh, those theological words. This, this is one of the things about the ESV that is sometimes hard, uh, and the ESV being what we've printed out for you, but, but they, they do use those, those theological, those churchy words, um, and sometimes it can make things confusing to understand because I don't know about you, but I don't use the word propitiation very often. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So, so this, is, this is an opportunity where slowing down and focusing on going deeper can really help us to, to understand something rather than just, oh, well, I don't get it. I'm just going to move on. So, um, you know, we have... We have a child in elementary school, in middle school, and in high school, and so it sometimes makes for a challenge for us when we're trying to do something all together because you have family movie night and you've got one who loves cartoon princess movies and one who's ready for the Marvel movies and where do you find something in between for them to meet? Um, Board games are the same way. Finding one that's simple enough for our nine-year-old, yet still interesting enough for our 15-year-old, and let's face it, for mom and dad too. Um, So when we do a a family devotion, we've learned that that we 
can do something deeper as long as we take the time to pause and to explain some of those words in a way that, that Abby, our youngest, can follow. When we get to these big theology words as a family, we work to make them memorable and understandable. So I think it was last Christmas we did an, an Advent devotion, and one of the concepts that it talked about was the term hypostatic union. Now, another phrase that is not used every day in conversation. In a nutshell, hypostatic union is the explanation of Jesus being fully God and fully man, two distinct yet complete natures at one time. We worked on that concept for several nights. We worked on remembering it, um, asking the kids what it meant. And, and now if you ask Abby, you say, Abby, what does hypostatic union mean? <clears throat> and people have gone up to her and asked. So, um, and she can tell you. And so it just, you get to some of these, these passages with some of these words and it just takes some extra effort, but then you can, you can get them and you can remember them. So today, I wanna to start out by just really focusing on some of the words in this passage so that we can sort of be able to understand it by learning what those, what those words really mean or, or what the significance of those words is. So um, we're gonna start by just reading the passage. Joyce, did I have you do Romans 3? 21 through 26. Yes. <clears throat> but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift to the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So the, what's the very first word we see in verse 21? But. But. So but is an easy word, right? It is one of my favorite words in the Bible. It is, in the King James Version, it's used 1,237 times, as I know all of you needed to know that. <laughs> but when I see the word but, I know that God is up to something big. And this is no different. This instance is, is, is no different. The last three weeks, we have talked about how we are all sinners and we all deserve God's wrath because of God's righteousness and because of his justice. And then we see that magic word, but. And we, we know that we are going to reverse the statements from before. We know the story is about to change. And now we see the solution to the problem of the sinfulness of mankind. Before this, everything was based on our own moral and spiritual record. But, according to Paul, we have a new approach to God with the gift of a perfect record. So when you think about but, think about it being my favorite word, right? Because 
because then it gets good. That's what normally happens. It's like, oh, we're getting somewhere. Then throughout the passage, we do see that word righteousness. And we've looked at the word righteousness before, um, and, and we've talked about it previously, but it's used four times in these six verses. And so it's important for us to look at it again. Uh, it is a major theme of the whole book. It appears more than 30 times. Again, four of them in these, these verses, but, but 30 times in the book. Um, but righteousness, does, does anybody remember the, a, a definition for righteousness? Or want to share a definition of righteousness? Man, we're quiet this morning. So righteousness is just the state or condition of perfectly conforming to God's law and his holy character. So only God is inherently righteous. But what this is telling us is on the basis of faith in Jesus alone, that God will impute or credit his righteousness to us that are sinners. By the way, impute is another one of those words we've worked on with Abby. And so if you ask her what impute means, be careful. She may grab your head and say, you know, Jesus imputed his righteousness on us. Um, that's, that's another one that we learned in our family devotions. And it was exciting to tell the kids last night at dinner that I get to use the word before their dad gets to preach with that word, because that was what we kept joking about. You're not going to be able to say the word without reaching and grabbing somebody's head. So, um, Can I get the right definition of again? I, perfectly conforming to God's perfect law and holy character. So in the Old Testament, righteousness was by right behavior, by the law. And, and that's, that's what we've been seeing through the, through the first three chapters of Romans. But gospel righteousness, which is what we're going to start looking at now, gospel righteousness is through faith, faith in Christ. And so it's apart from the law. Um, and so, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested or just made visible uh, apart from the law. And it says, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, and so it, the law and the prophets, that's the Old Testament, points to Jesus, um, but it's, it, it is not because of the law of God that that we can obtain the righteousness. Uh, another one of those great words is in verse 24, we see the word justified. When you look at the word justified in the Hebrew, it actually has the same root word as righteousness does. Um, but this term justified is a, a legal term. It means to be declared righteous or to declare someone righteous. So it's like the verdict that includes a pardon from guilt and the penalty of sin and the placing on or the imputation. You guys are going to learn that word. Imputation of 
Christ's righteousness onto us. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Just as if I never sinned. But those are the tricks to help yourself to remember what these words mean. And there's there is nothing wrong with with Abby remembering imputed by touching somebody's head. By putting that picture in her head, she now has that that uh, that idea. And so uh, the that's that's the whole point those those devices to help you remember yeah so justification is god declaring a sinner righteous based solely on the merits of christ's righteousness our sin is given to christ and christ's perfect obedience is given to us Uh, Warren Wiersbe says, justification is the act of God whereby he declares the believing sinner righteous in Christ on the basis of the finished work of Christ on the cross. And and you'll hear, and we will get into it more uh, as, as we go through the rest of the book, but you'll hear those theological terms, the justification and the sanctification, and so just to clarify, justification is a single act. It is a, a, a one-time thing. Sanctification is a process. So sanctification is the process where God makes the believer more and more like Christ. That's us growing. That's, that's us taking the discipleship journey uh, that, that Matt's been preaching about. Well, I guess Matt and Jonathan and uh, Ray this week will be preaching about um, so sanctification is that process, it's that change, that, that it does change from day to day. Justification, it happens, it's, it's done, it never changes. So, um, yeah. So being justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Redemption is a word that we have, we have talked about in past studies uh, it's one that that you're probably familiar with but we're going to take a look on, at, at what this biblical um, the biblical meaning of the word of for redemption redemption is is paying a ransom uh, the greek word conveys the image of a slave market and someone paying the the, the debt that's owed by the prisoner so that they can be freed you think back to our study of Ruth last year, or if you weren't with us for Ruth, any time that you've studied Ruth or heard about the book of Ruth, what was that biblical role of Boaz to Ruth? Kinsman the kinsman redeemer. That, that Hebrew word was goel. Um, and so this was the title that is given to the closest relative that was able to purchase the land from their relative to pay back their debt and keep the land in the family line and in Israel as a whole. And this did not just apply to marriage situations as, it, as Ruth, but um, Leviticus 25, 25. 
Uh, if one of your fellow Israelites becomes poor and sells some of their property, their nearest relative is to come and redeem what they have sold. And so in Old Testament society, it did not take much to go into debt, but it did take a lot to get out of it. Um, men would have to work off their debts by basically selling themselves into slavery. And God put several outs, uh, I call them outs, in, in his law. You had the year of Jubilee and, and this, this option for the kinsman redeemer and things like that. Um, but the, in, in Israel, the kinsman redeemer could go and buy their, their family member out of debt and out of slavery so they could live again, live freely again. And so Jesus, the, that picture of redemption is, is Jesus being our kinsman redeemer. We owe a debt that we can never pay on our own. And yet Jesus comes in redeems us by taking that debt and paying off that debt so that we are able to live freely for eternity. Any questions on redemption, justification, or righteousness? Or I guess but, if you have any questions about that one too. How many times is righteousness in about 30 I don't I can't remember I, I wrote down about 30 so I don't know whether it was like whether I had the exact number or if I just guessed I have no idea Can you repeat the Leviticus, Leviticus 25 25 okay. we saw that played out on Saturday night in Lancaster Bible College certain stage put on amazing grace and the one part that really stood out to me is when this huge black slave who had been part of John Newton's family, but then through a process of he wasn't, came to him at the end and said, I thought I would never be free. And of course, John said, you are free. You are no longer a slave. Yeah. It was done very well. Then we get, to, so, so our next great word is that propitiation. So, Teresa, you said you looked it up. Did you write down what it meant, or do you remember what it meant? Atonement. Yeah. It, the word that I liked best to remember. Yeah. In, in human terms, propitiation is appeasing someone who's angry, usually with a gift of some sort. Um, in terms of the Bible, Warren Wiersbe's statement was, it's the satisfying of God's holy law, the meaning of its just demands, so that God can freely forgive those who come to Christ. It's the turning away of God's wrath. Uh, Timothy Keller's statement was, it means that God's wrath is turned away from us, those who deserve it, by the provision of the one who takes it in our place. God himself, Jesus. And so it's more than just a physical uh, sacrifice. Jesus bore the penalty from God and he paid the price that we owed. So Leviticus 16 is about the Old Testament law about the Day of Atonement. It's a good picture of this concept. Um, and in fact, it, it uh, well, we'll get to that in a second. I'm going to jump 
I'm, I'm not going to get ahead of myself. So feel free to read that whole chapter on your own at some point. But, but basically it's when the priest in this time period, it was Aaron. And so you'll see Aaron's name. So Aaron is commanded to take a bull, a ram, and two goats and bring them to the tent of the meeting, which is the uh, tabernacle. Um, so he's commanded to bring them. The bull was the sin offering, the sacrifice for himself and his family before he could actually go in um, and be cleansed enough or be, be enough to go in. And so, so then we come to the goats. And I know I wrote it down correctly on the post-it note, but I don't know if I wrote it correctly on here. But it, I have Leviticus 16, 7 through 10, and then 21 and 22. Yes. Is, is that the right numbers, though? Um, Seven? What? Well, this is about corn and the goat, so I'm not sure. I have 15 and 16, which talks about the goat. Uh, I'm going to get to 15 and 16 in a minute. Okay. Seven through ten. First, yeah, set, I know seven through ten in mine, but then I think it was twenty one and twenty two. And then, yeah. And Aaron shall lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. And the goat shall bear all the iniquities on itself to the remote area, and he shall let the goat go free. So one goat is sacrificed, uh, and and the we'll get to the blood for that in just a second. But what happens to this second goat? It's like all the sins of the people were put upon the head of that goat, and then it was set free. Yeah, that's that's the this is where the term scapegoat comes from. All the sins of all the people were placed onto that to that live goat uh, and then he was he was let go right he was um, he was set free and the other one was sacrificed and that uh, is Felicia I think right yes. it's Leviticus 16 15, 15 16. and 16 then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people, and bring his blood within the veil, and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock, 
and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. And he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions in all their sins. And so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanness. And so this was, this was the blood that was used for the atonement of, of sins. Um, and, and atonement, while propitiation and atonement are, are very similar, atonement is kind of the, the reparation, an attempt to do something or give something to make up for a wrong. So when we think about, when we think about this event in Leviticus 16, were their sins taken away? They, were, they weren't taken away, at least not yet. Um, the blood of these animals never took away the sins. It only covered them. And then Jesus later finished that. Um, kind of, so kind of like a, a deferred payment. The, the sacrifices were a placeholder. placeholder. It was transferred. Yeah, transferred. So God was, um, Timothy Keller says, God was accepting Abraham, Moses, David, and all the other Old Testament saints when they repented and trusted in his mercy. But he accepted them on the basis of the future work of Christ. He was already the just judge who justifies his people. So one of the pictures I had for this that sort of came to my mind for this was, um, so I have a specific example. So in October 2002, Betty Bullock sued tobacco maker Philip Morris for negligence, product liability, and fraud because she had inoperable lung cancer attributed to almost, almost 50 years of smoking. And in this trial, she was awarded by the jury $850,000 in what's called com compensatory damages. That's the money she, should, she could actually show that the company cost her in medical bills and in pain and suffering. The jury then awarded her punitive damages. Uh, the Jury said $28 billion. Later, the judge reduced it to $28 million. Um, the, by definition, these punitive damages are meant to punish the defendant because of this intentional gross negligence. Um, after a number of appeals, Philip Morris ended up paying close to $14 million in punitive damages to Betty Bullock's daughter, Jody, in 2009. Why her daughter? because Betty died. Less than five months after the initial verdict was handed down, Betty succumbed to her, her lung cancer. So Philip Morris was punished, and the, but the lung cancer still existed. The consequences of that, ca that cancer and the death still happened. And so that's kind of the picture of, of atonement is the, a price was paid, but that doesn't remove it completely. Does that make sense at all? Like I'm giving a couple of nods. Okay. So the sin is still there. It was just covered by the animal's blood until it could be completely cleansed by the death of Jesus on the cross. Um, 
Yeah. So, so God, uh, it, Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, and that was with the, uh, the atonement stuff as well. Uh, and this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, his patience, his self-control. Um, and so, um, yeah. So then now that we've kind of looked at all the words that I had sort of marked, and I, um, I have, I have printed this, our passage in the, the ESV, the CSB, and the New Living Translation. Now, this is one of those times when the ESV is not the easiest to understand, and so we make use of some other translations to do it. So as I'm passing this around just so you can have it, I'm going to read the New Living um, I'm going to read it from the New Living. Still a translation, but this one's a thought-for-thought thought translation. So it sometimes is easier to make hard things understandable. But we've already done the work to sort of see what these things mean, and we can see that the New Living translation is still a valid, uh, a valid translation. It still does convey the idea. It says, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight he did this through Jesus, Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. And so we see, by, by looking at a different translation, we kind of see it in a, in a more, um, more user-friendly wording to be able to understand are, are not quite as user-friendly version in the ESV. Um, the reason that I printed the, the one for the Christian Standard Bible in here, if you see there in verse 25, I did leave the numbers in intentionally. Um, in, ours, in the ESV it says, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. And this one says, God presented him as the mercy seat by his blood and if you remember in in and in, in um, um, back in Leviticus 16 
when they take the blood of the goat, they're sprinkling it onto the, the Ark of the Covenant, but the, the lid of the Ark of the Covenant is called the mercy seat. And so that's, that's where that, that's why I printed that one was just so you could see that, that wording um, carried throughout um, for that propitiation wording. Any questions so far? Well, we've kind of dug through those words, and, and so, but there were still two things that, that, sort of, um, that sort of stood out to me on the passage, and I promise they aren't too long. Um, but the, the first one was when I, um, when I read verses 24 and 25, and it says, um, well, you're justified by his grace as a gift. And that, that phrase, as a gift, um, was, was the part that sort of stood out. And, and elsewhere, it's translated as, as given freely. Um, it means it's something that's completely undeserved. There is no cause in us that would merit the salvation of God. And this shows God's absolute love for us, given to us as a completely free gift, no cost, but it, no cost to us, but it came with a great cost. Um, one, and I don't remember which commentaries, but they said it may, it may be free, but it isn't cheap. You know, Warren Wiersbe says, it doesn't cost me anything, but it cost God the life of his son. And so when I was thinking about the value of that gift, um, I, was, I thought of, of my engagement ring. Um, Ray came to my dad one, one year at Christmas and he asked for permission to marry me. And we were both seniors in college, so read that as poor. Um, <laughs> so after, after Ray left, he had been to visit uh, my, at my parents' house, and then he, he lived about, his, his mom lived about two hours away, mom and dad. Uh, and so he left, and I asked my mom about using my grandmother's engagement ring, in part because I knew neither of us had the money for a ring, um, but also because I had always been told about her ring and how my grandfather had, had just upgraded it over the years. Um, my grandfather was a poor country boy from the hills of eastern Kentucky. He did not have a lot of money. And so he bought my grandmother what my mom always called a diamond chip. And I can show you. It's, it's in there. But it's super tiny. Right in there. Right? Um, and, and he had worked hard to save up for that. And it's small, but it really did fit my personality well um, and had great sentimental value for me. I was named after my grandmother. Um, and so when, when I called Lay, Ray later that night and I, I asked him about considering to use the ring whenever he proposed, he was not entirely comfortable with it. He, he thought he needed to show me his love, the value of his love with something of monetary worth. 
Um, it's not that he was vain or wanted to show off. It was just that was, that was what he had set his expectation to be. And using my grandmother's ring wasn't sentimental to him in any way. Um, so we agreed that we would use my grandmother's ring for now. And then on our fifth anniversary, we would upgrade my ring to something he could spend money on. Um, he actually did it on our fourth anniversary. That's a different story in itself. So he has since upgraded me twice. Oh. <laughs> so um, I do have both of those. And you'll notice neither one of them are on my finger at the moment either. Um, but uh, so he... Those the the upgrade stories are are completely different story time for an I'll save it for another day but um, but then I had another ring uh, so those neither one of those fit right now because I've lost some weight and so um, it was I have those sizers on there but it was just getting annoying so. I ended up with another ring that my mother had also given me at another time. It was the second engagement ring that my grandfather had given to my grandmother. Um, small and simple diamond, but the, all four of these rings are, are precious to me. Their value, not that much. I am sure all of you have rings that are much more valuable than than, than the actual cost of any of these. Um, and they have clearly have much more sentimental value than what we spent on them because three of the four we didn't spend anything on. But, um, but that's that picture of, of a cost that's not monetary and not something you can actually place a, a price tag on that's the cost that it was to to God to give up and to to really freely give us this gift of grace um, the, the the last thing that really stood out to me was um, based on the verse 26 where it says it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And um, this stood out to me, not when I was first reading it, but when I was reading through Tim Timothy Keller's commentary, he asked the question, what happens if we forget that God is just, that means the righteous judge, or forget that he is the one who justifies the God of love who gives us this free gift of grace. How, in other words, it's not just how do we balance a God of sacrificial love with a God of holy anger against evil, but what would it look like if God were not both? And so it was an interesting perspective to think about for me. Um, just sort of made me, made me pause uh, in, my, in my studying. Um, so... Raise your hand if you have or have ever had children, <laughs> right? Now, not necessarily ones that live with you now, but um, how many of you had, have or had rules for your children, <laughs> right? 
These are those standards of, that you expected them to, to obey, those limits you put on them, those expectations that you set for them. Why do we have rules for our children? Protection. For their protection. Guidance. Guidance. Because we love them. Because we love them. Why do our kids think we have rules? To be mean. <laughs> to be mean. <laughs> to hinder their freedom, right? <laughs> but what would happen if we did not have rules for our children? Anarchy. <laughs> yeah. That was the word that I thought of, right? Our children would sort of get free reign in our homes, right? They, mine would have eaten the whole bag of candy from Trunk or Treat on the way home <laughs> instead of the one piece that we allowed them because we were about to get home and go to bed, you know? I'm the one that would eat the whole bag of candy. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the reality of what would happen, but what would happen, what would our children think about us if we had no rules? Sick and then blame us. Well, they, yeah, they would sort of suffer the consequences of their actions. Some would think you didn't care. Some would think it was extreme love. Oh, they love me so much they, they, they aren't hindering my freedom. They wouldn't respect us at all. But, right, there's, there's, there's that disrespect. Children want boundaries. You know, they, they, right. And a lot of times they don't know it, that they do. Um, and so how many of your children fully held, fully obeyed every rule that you set forth? Huh. <laughs> right, I am glad to see we have honest women in this room. <laughs> you know. Don't get me wrong, I have good kids, but they are far from perfect. And Ray likes to say we are, he, his, his, one of his favorite phrases about our children is that he, we are raising little sinners. <laughs> you know, but when I respond to my children and when I respond to their disobedience, I can respond with wrath or with grace. Now, if I only respond with wrath, this is God being the just and, and the justifier, right? But if I only respond with the wrath that they deserve, what will that look like to my kids? It doesn't matter what they do, nothing will ever be good enough. Yeah. Yeah, that nothing would ever be good enough. It would look like there's no love. Um, it, it would... At, at some point and on some level, they understand the punishment. But it would not be, uh, yeah. But if we only responded with grace, what would that look like to my kids? Pushover. Yeah, a pushover, that lack of respect that, that somebody mentioned before. Um, you know, you have to balance being, we as, as moms have to balance being the parent that upholds the standard with the parent being the parent that shows grace. And it's not an easy task for us as moms. But the beautiful thing is for God, it's not hard for him. He completes this all the time. That perfect balance between love and justice. 
just the right amount of wrath and punishment in the moment, but the way out for eternity. And so as um, I just want us to think about just the, the blessing that we have in this free gift of God. Um, and as we are sitting here and we are talking about and looking at uh, and continuing to look at in this coming week um, of, of this good news of this free gift from a perfect God, I do feel like I need to, to say if there is someone who has not received that free gift of salvation, of the redemption from righteousness, of, of, of salvation, uh, whatever. <laughs> if you're not a believer in Jesus <laughs> and you are interested, talk to me or talk to Elizabeth or talk to your small group leader and we want to make sure that that you do have that experience, you get that but. Um, so, so, yeah. But uh, next week, we will finish out chapter three. It's another one of those really short passages, um, 27 through 31. Uh, but there's still a lot of good stuff. But now we already know those justification terms and things like that. And so hopefully that... Uh, helps us through it for next week and so we will break into our small groups and yeah have some more discussion thank you morgan